Hello and welcome to the Feeling Good Podcast. I am your host, Fabrice Nye, and joining me here in the Murrieta Studios is Dr. David Burns. Hi, David. Hi, Fabrice. Dr. David Burns has been a pioneer in the development of cognitive therapy, and he is the creator of the new team therapy. He is the author of Feeling Good, which has sold over 5 million copies in the United States and has been translated into over 20 languages. He is an emeritus adjunct clinical professor of psychiatry at the Stanford University School of Medicine. Welcome to episode 62 of the Feeling Good podcast. Today we uh, have another Ask David uh, episode. We've had uh, an accumulation of questions and um, so we need to uh, get to those. Um, Before we do so, I wanted to... um, tell our listeners that uh, since we've been tracking our numbers, it's been quite interesting to see uh, how people are listening to us and, and where from. Uh, you know, back in October, when we first started tracking, we had 22,000 downloads. And uh, so far in November, we have 14,000. So we're doing pretty good. Sounds like uh, people are happy to listen to our podcast, David. Yes, and if you like them, tell your friends, spread the word, use all these social media tricks to see if you can help us expand our, our audience. We really appreciate all, all of you who are, who are listening to our podcasts. Yeah, one, one of the ways you can support us is um, by leaving your own comment or question uh, on the podcast show notes. Another way is to leave a review on iTunes and, uh, and David just uh, wrote a little uh, uh, um, posting on uh, the uh, podcast show notes uh, that shows how to um, do an iTunes review. In fact, we're going to update this for people who do this on an iPhone or iPad. And of course, just tell your friends and colleagues. And uh, that would be uh, your way of uh, showing that you appreciate the podcast. So far on our uh, reviews, uh how many do we have? Of, of what percentage are five star reviews? Uh, I think that uh, um, you know uh, iTunes shows the uh, the the rating in uh, in stars, and we're at five stars total. So we've had all so five that- stars reviews, and so that's what we're hoping for. And if you have a problem. You know, sometimes I make controversial comments, yeah. and so write, write to me, email me directly if there's something I say that upsets you or you don't like or whatever, and we can actually turn it into a, an ask, ask David, or I can sometimes get back to you directly. Yeah, there's a smattering of uh, four stars, uh, and uh, I, I saw, according to iTunes, there's a one star and a one two star. Uh, oh, we have some, some bad we, ones. Apparently, yes. Uh, but those people didn't leave uh, a written review, so oh, we don't really okay. know what they didn't like about it. Oh, okay, yeah. Maybe they they were looking for something different. <laughs> yeah. We had one, I saw the, our first feedback. We just started publishing them on uh, YouTube, uh, among other platforms, and we got one. I think I sent it to you, didn't yeah, I? Some yeah. just atrocious review, but it, it sounded very confused or maybe even... Uh, psychotic or something uh, it was i don't mean to be critical of the person but it was it was very bizarre well i i don't know uh but you know uh, it was about ghosts and really yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes because now the uh with the new system the the podcast get posted directly on youtube as well so that's another way for people to to find you um if uh 
uh, of course, there's no video; it's just the sound. Um, but that's an interesting other uh, other way to uh, have your podcast be discovered. So, um, before uh, we we move on to the questions, I want to give a shout out to our one download, our one listener in Ethiopia. I don't know how we say hello in Ethiopian, but uh, uh, if that person tells their friend, maybe we'll have double the number of uh, listeners in yeah, Ethiopia. Yeah, and we could get as many as four, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Quadruple. Well, we're flattered by all the all the listeners that we have. <clears throat> and also, uh, we're going to do several short podcasts, uh, Ask David's, because you've been sending in terrific questions. We asked for questions yeah. recently, and you have you have responded, and the questions are... Uh, will will lend themselves to a, a little bit of interesting uh, dialogue, I think. Great. So without further ado, here's a uh, question from Robert, uh, who says, I was wondering whether the three steps of effective communication, one, empathize, two, disarming the critic, and three, feedback and negotiation, would work when applying it with others who already know this technique? Well, that, that's a great question. There's actually uh, five secrets of effective communication, and we're going to be doing a series on them. Yeah, shortly. we're about to do that. Yeah, We're going to do one one per week, but the, uh, the five secrets of effective communication, and they're in no particular order, are the disarming technique, that's number one, thought and feeling empathy is number two, inquiries number three, I feel statements is number four, and stroking is number five. And it doesn't make any difference if you know about them in terms of if someone else is also using them. One thing that uh, people in our Tuesday group have been saying lately is what a pleasure it is to have a group of colleagues who all use the same concepts in communication. Uh, It really uh, works better if, if you know if you know these techniques, uh, the the effectiveness of these techniques will depend on your skill in doing them and whether you're you're speaking from the heart. There, if if you're using them as techniques to manipulate someone, they they won't be effective whether or not that person is familiar with the, with the five secrets of effective communication. But essentially, the five secrets of effective communication are what the world's greatest communicators do when they're at their their very, very best. So uh, I understand that they're not to be used uh, as manipulation or as manipulative techniques. So what should they be used as? What, what would be the, the purpose for somebody to use those techniques? The, the reason I developed them and learned them in the first place was because when I began practicing cognitive therapy, I think I was then and still am a very effective and creative technician. I, even to this day, I, I create new therapy techniques almost every time I work with, with someone. But I felt that my interpersonal skills were, were below par. Like I had great technical skills, but I wasn't always developing that warm bond, especially with uh, patients who were uh, from time to time critical or oppositional or, 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 or skeptical. And I had, I, well, I still do actually, one of the best teaching methods is to have a co-therapist. 
And early in my career, there was a fellow from London, Sterling Morey, who came as a medical yeah, student. You've talked about him. Yeah, and he's, yeah. he sat in with me, and he would have very little skill in psychotherapy, but he, had, he was a very gentle and warm and empathic person. And I recognized right away that his interpersonal skills were far better than my own. And I, and I said, I want that for myself. I want to add that to, to what I bring to the therapeutic process. And I really worked uh, at developing and, and, and mastering the, the five secrets, and it really, really changed my life. So for the listeners, uh, the, if you're a therapist, learning the five secrets can make you a vastly more effective uh, therapist. And for all of us, uh, learning the five secrets can help you develop warmer and more loving and more satisfying and more rewarding relationships with, with, with other people. But, but there is a price to pay which involves the death of the ego uh, and, yeah. and yeah. Uh, giving up the need to be right, the need to blame, the, the need to constantly argue and, and defend yourself. And we'll get into that soon in our uh, yeah. series yeah. on the five secrets. And we're going to do one secret each week for five weeks yeah. and give you assignments to practice during the week so you can really learn the, the, the five secrets one at a time. And then after that, you can begin to integrate them in a natural uh, way when you interact with yeah. other people. Yeah, I hope we can really go into depth in, into those because uh, they're really important. We, we covered them in a couple episodes early on, but... It, it we didn't go in. into enough depth on no, it. People no. got all interested and excited, yeah. but you really have to practice them and you really want to have ha ha a tremendous determination. It has to come from the heart to, to learn how to do those. Yeah. Well, thank you. And so we we have next um, actually two comments from uh, Avi Avi I don't know how you pronounce this Avi probably um, I'm going to do them in in two separate um, s sections because uh, they are on different slightly different topics uh, um, so Avi says uh, I would also, I would also like to express my deep appreciation for your sharing your wisdom and experience with all of us. Uh, in fact, I connected to the materials so much, I found it only about two weeks ago and already caught up and heard all 60 podcasts. Well, that's dedication. Yeah, thank you, Avi. <laughs> I love hearing that. Uh, considering the breakthrough idea that we need uh, to overcome a person's hidden resistance before we can proceed to try to help them, isn't there a type of catch-22 in the case of a depressed person? Uh, since their primary weakness is that uh, they've lost hope, if we position ourselves as the voice against change, they won't find within themselves the strength and perseverance to overcome our challenge, since that's the very fiber of their current weakness. In other words, uh, I'm challenging them in their weakest and most vulnerable place. I, I love the language uh, this, this uh, person is using, and this is a, a great question, uh, really. Well, uh, yes, this is perhaps, uh, to my way of thinking, one of the biggest issues in all of uh, psychotherapy, uh, the, the, the whole issue of, of, of hopelessness and, uh, and, and how to motivate the, the, the client, uh, when the loss of motivation is, is central to the depression that they're, they're yeah. struggling with. And when you're using paradoxical agenda setting, you're telling them, well, maybe you're right. 
So <laughs> yeah, exactly. how do we get out of that? You know? Exactly. Well, uh, p p part of it is the outcome resistance and part is the process resistance. And the next question will we'll deal with outcome resistance. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm going to deal in this one with, uh, with process resistance. And process resistance means that the, the patient might want to get better but doesn't want to do what he or she has to do to, to get better. And my research has documented a powerful impact of uh, doing psychotherapy homework on recovery from, yeah. from, from depression. Uh, and so uh, at my clinic in Philadelphia, I, I published a number of articles in top psychology journals that the, the essence of it showed that of the patients who did at least some psychotherapy homework throughout the treatment, uh, the prognosis for improvement or full recovery was overwhelming. And of the patients who refused to do self-help assignments, uh, very few, if any of them, improved or recovered. A lot of them just deteriorated and, and dropped out of therapy. So it's, 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 it's probably the most important causal factor, factor in all of uh, psychology and psychiatry, it, it, it's the biggest causal factor, factor on recovery from depression is getting patients to do something to help themselves between sessions. And early on, I, I tried all kinds of techniques to, to get my patients to do the, the psychotherapy homework. Uh, Beck had, Aaron Beck had developed uh, techniques that he suggested. Uh, uh, Albert Ellis had, had suggested uh, techniques uh, that, that he had developed, but none of these techniques w were effective. I, I tried literally 50 ways to, to get patients to do their psychotherapy homework. Of course, some did, you know, half the patients did, yeah. but the patients who didn't really just, they didn't seem to want them. Just to give you an example of a humorous technique, that Ellis, Albert Ellis in New York uh, created, and I, I even tried this, he, he, he said, uh, have your patients give you uh, like $50 in cash and, and put it in an envelope with, with a little note, uh, you know, addressed to the Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. Oh yeah, that, that that's a it's a it's a rather well known technique now for procrastination. <laughs> exactly, and tell your patients that um, if if they do their homework, we, uh, we apologize to members of the of the KKK. Yeah, if we have any uh, white supremacists li listening, we we didn't mean to insult you. Actually, we did, <laughs> but uh, uh, the, the the thing is is that if you do your homework, uh, I'll, I'll give you back the fifty dollars next week. And, and, and it's going to be in an envelope, all addressed to the Grand Wizard, all stamped and, and ready to go. And if you don't do your homework, then we'll, we'll drop it in the mail and send this, you know, your contribution and note to keep up the good work. With your address and phone yeah. number. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but even that didn't, didn't work. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, then in the early 1980s, I stumbled across the only technique that was effective, and that was part of what led to team therapy and paradoxical agenda setting. And what I did was to send, I, I wrote and sent, and I still do, 
send every uh, new patient b before the first therapy session, when they call on the telephone, I'd say, I'm going to send you a package of materials and there's some things to fill out and bring yeah. to the first session. And one is called the concept of self-help memo. Yeah, and the memo which I use in my practice. Oh, do you? That's I, do, yeah. I love hearing that. Yeah. And by the way, uh, on my trip to the East, I'm kind of changing the subject, but I uh, I just happened to run in and my my lecture at Stanford recently to uh, two of uh, Fabrice's uh, current and former patients who were raving about you, uh, Fabrice, and what a wonderful therapist you were, and it just warmed my heart. I wasn't surprised to hear it, but it was a real joy to hear it talking about how you had uh, helped to change their lives and what a, what a great thing. But at any rate, the, the memo, the concept of self-help memo said that um, there are several ways to, to get over depression and, and anxiety or other problems that you come to therapy with. One, one is just to talk and, and have the therapist listen and support you and that's very important. Uh, we certainly provide that if you decide to work with us here at, at, at this clinic. Number two, uh, some people might need a medication. Fortunately, most depressed and anxious patients can now be treated without pills. But if you need a medication, we'll certainly provide that. And then the third thing is that many therapists now emphasize learning the tools to change your life, the tools to get over your depression, the tools to improve your your marriage or your, yeah. your relationship. And and uh, and at this clinic, we, we emphasize this as an absolutely necessary ingredient in, in, in the therapy. And then the memo describes 10 of the most common homework assignments they'll be asked to do be, between sessions, like uh, taking a mood test to see how, how you're doing, uh, using the daily mood log to record your negative thoughts and identify the distortions in them, using the relationship journal to... to, to write down exchanges that happened between you and someone you're not getting along with. What did they say? What did you say next? Yeah. That type of thing. And then, uh, so this is all very written in an appealing, short way. And then there's a little uh, contract that they have to tick off and answer each item. And the first one is, I understand that if I decide to work at this clinic, that the, the therapist uh, re requires... Uh, consistent uh, self-help assignments between yeah. sessions. Yes, no, or needs discussion. The second item says, if if I uh, am accepted in this clinic, I, I agree to do consistent self-help assignments between uh, sessions throughout the therapy. Yes, no, or needs discussion. And then the number of minutes I agree to spend is per day is like, you know, 10 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever. The number of days per week I'll do this is like five days a week or whatever, and the number of weeks I agree to continue with this is, you know, how many weeks would you agree to be doing these mm -hmm. self-help assignments? Yeah. And then the, the, the memo goes in a paradoxical direction and, and, and lists 25 good, and the word good is in large letters, italicized, bold, 25 good reasons not, and the word not is italicized, bold, not to do the self-help assignments. And yeah. then at the memo list, 25 of the best excuses patients had given me over the years why yeah. they, they shouldn't have to do it or they can't do it or, you know, they're too overwhelmed, they don't have time, they're too hopeless, nothing could work, or I have a chemical imbalance in my brain, only a pill could, could fix me, you know, this type of thing. And they have to tick off how many of these 25 reasons 
describe them. Yeah. And, and then at the end they're asked, now having read this, would you prefer a kind of therapy where you'll be required to do psychotherapy homework or a, a kind of therapy where you just come and talk to the therapist and, and don't yeah. have to do homework? Um, and then I negotiated that at the beginning of therapy with every patient. And you can see pretty much the way they filled it out, who who doesn't want to do psychotherapy homework? Like they would skip, you know, how many minutes a day they were going to spend, and they would have ticked off all of these strong agreement with all of these reasons not to do right. psychotherapy homework. And so then I would say, uh, you know, Hilda, uh, from from uh, talking to you, it, it sounds like, and from reviewing your your. Uh, well, you filled out the memo here. It sounds like you—you you, the idea of psychotherapy homework doesn't really appeal to you. And then she might say, uh, "Well, Doctor Burns, yes, yes. You know, I've had uh, twelve previous therapists, and none of them ever asked me to do psychotherapy homework. There's this one homework I, I, I would—I would be willing to do. Uh, and uh, what, what, what's what's that?" And she said, "Well, I sometimes I like to call my therapist at three in the morning when I'm feeling anxious or lonely." And then you get the idea right away. This is a person who who isn't wanting to learn tools, to do do tools to to change her life. And then what I learned to say, and this this was the the, the crux of it, is something like, you know, Hilda, uh, I want you to to know that I would love to work with you, and I believe I have the tools to help you change your life. I'd like to be your your last therapist and show you how to go from severe depression to to joy and self-esteem and, and, and productivity. And if we work together, I have no doubt that, that we can achieve that result. But unfortunately, the tools I use uh, will not work uh, w- without the homework assignments between yeah. sessions. And so if you're looking for just to go and talk to somebody, I'm not the therapist you're 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 looking for, and I couldn't ethically accept you as my patient because I've never once had a patient who who refused to do homework who recovered from depression. But you're in luck. There's most of the therapists in our community would be overjoyed to work with you and would not ask you to do psychotherapy homework. And I finish by saying, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to reject you, and I hope you'll stick with me. But this is make no doubt about it in your mind that if you decide to work with me, the homework assignments are not negotiable. It would be absolutely mandatory. And when I first developed that approach and that memo, I was really fearful that I'd lose most of my patients. But the opposite happened, and and, uh, we, we presented the memo and this type of negotiation with 700 consecutive patients who came to my clinic in Philadelphia for treatment for depression, anxiety, or other problems, and only seven elected not to stay at the at the at the clinic. And that approach worked worked re- really well. But therapists, if you ask therapists at a workshop, let's say or any group, let's say you have a group of two hundred therapists, and ask how many of you have patients who don't do their psychotherapy homework, about eighty percent of the hands will go up. And then what that tells me, and what I say to the audience, is you're enabling your patients because you're not making them accountable. You're letting them, them get, get away with it. Yeah. It's kind of like a mother who says, uh, oh, Johnny, you know, you have to come home at 10 o'clock tonight 
from the party, but oh, I know you won't, you know, type yeah. of thing, kind of giving the subconscious message yeah. uh, that, that well, the, they can get away with it. And I find that therapists are afraid to make patients accountable, but that approach ha has been tremendously effective, and it's the only approach that, that, that's been effective. Yeah, well, very good. So um, I think that... Um, this will conclude this episode. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll pick up in the next podcast on some more of these fantastic questions. All right. This has been another episode of the Feeling Good Podcast. For more information, visit Dr. Burns' website at feelinggood.com, where you will find the show notes for this podcast under the blog page, and where you can leave your comments and questions. The website has an abundance of resources for therapists, as well as non-therapists, including books, workshops, a list of online training groups around the world, and much more. Theme music is Gypsy Jazz in Paris, 1935, composed and performed by Brett Van Donzel. I am your host, Fabrice Nye, and I invite you to join us next time for another episode of the Feeling Good Podcast.